0: Let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. Um, excuse me. Um, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Stop. 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 Almighty God, who show us to them that be in error the light of thy truth, to the intent that they may, that they may, may return into the way of righteousness. Grant unto all them that are admitted into the fellowship of Christ's of, of Christ's excuse me of Christ's Christ's excuse me. Grant unto all them that are admitted into the fellowship of Christ's religion, that they may avoid those things that are contrary to their profession and follow all such things as are agreeable to the same. Through Jesus Christ, thy son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, um, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Amen. Trying to do the old TLH colics. I think those have something that we miss in our modern English there. Kind of nice. What's that? Familiar. Sounds sounds familiar. Sounds warm and fuzzy. That's good. All right. Well, we are in James chapter one, verses. We're going to start with verses nine through eighteen. Let's just dive in. Who wants to read James chapter one, verses nine through eighteen for us?
1: Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun dries with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flowers fall, and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my dear brother. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of this of his own will will he will he brought us forth by the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruit of his preacher. All
0: right. Thank you, Sheila. Um. So. Interesting. All right. So, um, the first part of our uh, study today, is, you know, we have look, discuss, and apply. So, for look, we see verse eighteen, uh, where it says, "a kind of first fruits." The Israelites offered the first portion of their produce, the fruit of their fields, and vineyards to the Lord. Christians are like those first fruits. Out of all the other produce, here God's entire creation, we are given to him to be his own. All right? So, nice way to think about that, right? Any questions about that? give y'all ample time. <laughs> silence, silence is one of those things that really spurs people on, so I'm going to try and use it sometimes. Um, so okay, let's go to the discuss portion and um, see what y'all have for those. Number one, in <coughs> excuse me <coughs> <coughs> Ugh, sometimes you get a little tickle there. In what should the humble take pride? And in what should the rich take pride? So let's go to that first one. In what should the humble take pride?
2: I don't know. Seven deadly sins,
3: right?
0: Seven deadly sins. Oh, pride! It depends, right? I mean, the seven deadly sins are not in the Bible, but they are—they are—they are good things. I mean. Technically the seven the seven deadly sins were a carryover from like Western thought of vices and virtues and things like that. But I mean they're still scripture warns about them for sure, but they're not listed out as the seven deadly sins. But yeah, pride pride is something that you wouldn't necessarily think a humble person would be proud. But somebody else is gonna say something about that. Love the Lord. The humble should take pride in the love of God. Yeah, He promises. I love the humble. hmm I mean, so when you hear of humble, what does that mean? When somebody is humble, they're last. They're last. <laughs> yeah, and in, in, in what in what way is somebody can can somebody be last? Surely you might have an answer? What's that? No,
1: I'm just laughing at all our quietness. I know. It's like
0: I'm giving y'all the room to speak here. So like if somebody is last, is that a good place to be typically? No. No. Who wants no. to be last? Not me. Yeah, not me. <laughs>
4: it depends on the circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> right, if you have to give um, give a speech,
2: you don't The first (laughs) one (laughs) up, yeah. Public
0: speaking.
3: Oh,
2: yes, I had several
3: classes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, who'd like to be last on a sinking ship? (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a good question.
0: Not very good, yeah. So, given, given the context, yeah. So, um, if somebody is humble or of humble means, right, they probably don't have much wealth right they probably don't live in a very nice place they don't probably i mean for us they wouldn't drive a nice car um and so and they're probably living paycheck by paycheck or or living off of charity or welfare or something like that right so what might they be tempted to do in that low position what's that Poor me. <laughs> oh, poor me! Despair, steal, steal out of despair, right? You say you want some more, so you got to go get it, however you can. Yeah, I mean, people get desperate. People despair. They they can despair of their low position, right? And and that's even if you're wealthy and but you have bad health, right? That's another side of things too. You can despair of your low position. Um, but the but the humble, like he says here in verse nine, right. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. But who exalts the lowly?
1: I've, I've had many friends that think about their, their young days when they had nothing. You know, they, they were in a small house. They were brothers and sisters sleeping in the same room. But they were happy. Yeah. They were extremely happy. It was mm-hmm. no stress, no. It was just a complete freedom, like.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It was happiness.
0: Sounds like that's ideal mm-hmm. in a lot of ways.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up on a farm, and uh, our house looked like Ma and Paul house. <laughs> <laughs> No plumbing, uh-huh. outdoor. <laughs> sure. So, but you know what? We were really happy. Yes. We had chores to do. We, I don't know, we just were happy.
0: Sure. Stay busy. Yes. And you're happy with the things you have. Yes. Yeah, you're content. Right. Um, but some people in that position, I mean, let's say that you took somebody from an apartment. And then you put them in that position. Like even that, they'll say, this is horrible. This is horrible, you know. Um, it's kind of funny how, how quickly you can uh, despair when you're taken out of comfort. But if you've never really known all the comforts that we have right now, how would you really know any different on some level? But I guess the the, the thing is, is that um, when James says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, who is it that exalts the lowly? God. God. God does. Where do we mainly hear that? I mean, we hear that explicitly in, in one place, but generally in a lot of places. We hear that from Jesus primarily, right? We say that whoever, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. We also hear that from Mary too, right? In the Magnificat where she says, and he exalts those of low estate, right? I mean, she wasn't anything. I mean, think about it. She was just a poor girl that was, it's funny, when you think of the Messiah being born, you want him to be born, typically you would think he must be born to a great princess, daughter of a great king, because then he's going to be in this grand position. But she was nobody, right? And yet God exalted her to the position to be the mother of Christ, right? And there's many such examples of that throughout Scripture. You see Joseph, right? Uh, you see, I mean, Jesus himself, right? And you see the apostles, Paul, John, Peter, all, all these guys. Um, and, and, and you see uh, the small nation of Israel in the Old Testament being a mighty land and a mighty people, not because they're so great, but because their God is the one who has lifted them to that position, right? I mean, when they came out of the land of Egypt, they shouldn't have lasted. They should not have made it but they survived because God exalted them, right? So the humble should take pride or boast in the exaltation that God does for them, right? It's all what God does. So um, they're privileged, right? When you have—we talked about this last time, right? When you've lost everything or you don't have much of anything to begin with, when you don't have much of anything to begin with, right, all of a sudden all the distractions are gone and the only focus you have is on God. It's on Jesus, right? And that's the blessing of persecution and hardship and things like that is that when you're in a place where you realize the only one you can depend on is God, you're in a good place, right? So the humble and the lowly should um, see themselves as privileged to be able to focus on God focus on Jesus, what he's done for them, how he gives them strength I think I saw something the other day about how when Joseph was I mean what you know sold into slavery um, and, and and cast into prison because he was falsely accused and all these things like that right in God's word it says but God was with him and that made all the difference and that said no matter what happens, God is with me and everything is. Good. Right? Any other thoughts about that? Questions?
4: Karen, it seems you have something on your mind. <laughs> I just keep thinking, to me, humble is a person or is well is someone who I wish I could put it into words. I I don't know. It's They don't boast on themselves. They don't be haughty. Mm -hmm. They're not haughty. They're very... They're humble.
2: Yeah. And
4: to me, that's such a sign of Christianity. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's... uh, It's one of those things that just seems like very... I don't want to say miraculous, but in some sense it kind of is. You go, how can somebody that is in such a horrible place have a smile on their face? Or or, or how can somebody who's had so many bad things happen to them say, I know that God still
4: loves me, right? I mean, that is a miracle on some level. It is. Yeah. But I, I think it's not putting yourself first all the time. That's right.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. Very good. I mean, that's that's exactly right. I mean, the humble, <laughs> when they see that they're last, I mean, it's pretty easy to see, I suppose, that they don't. Like I said, they don't have all the distractions, um, and that's and that's why Jesus says the first will be last, and the last shall be first. Right. Um, so, in essence, we should seek to be last. Right. We should seek to be the lowest, in that we are doing all that we can to remain humble and to say, it's not about me, it's about God, right? Absolutely. So that's the humble side. What about the rich? What should, in what should the rich take pride?
2: Well, it says right here, in their humiliation. (laughs) In their humiliation,
0: yeah. Yeah, What is what does that mean, in their humiliation? Shame, disgrace. Yeah, but... But they're rich.
5: What's wrong? I mean, why should they be humiliated? They're rich. They take pride in their own stuff. Ah. In their material stuff. stuff. In, in me, 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 me. me, me. <laughs> me.
2: That's me what they like take pride I. in.
0: Should they take pride in that? No. So what should they take pride in? When it comes to humiliation, I mean, that's... Well, that's, they
5: ought to be thankful that they have some of that stuff, right. that God that's gave right. it to
0: them. That's right. So... When he says something like, when, when, <laughs> when, James, when James says the rich, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So that means that the rich should take pride in the fact that their riches and wealth will soon pass away and they will pass away. As they go about their business, you know, just say, thanks be to God. I don't have to be burdened by my riches anymore, you know, because being rich is, it's a burden, right? The more, more stuff, more money, more problems as it is, right? Um, Well, and
5: all that stuff takes you away from God. Yeah. And, you know, people, they get these big houses, they've got Mm. a pool in the back, they've got a boat out there, they've got but you know, well, all of that's responsibility you got to take care of that that's right it's going to take you away from God you got to take care of that pool that's going to take you away from God you got to take care of that house and all that right. all that responsibility that you've created is just taking you away from God and his word and going to church on Sunday mornings right that's
0: and right. so in that sense what do you do with all that stuff if you don't want it to weigh you down, what do you do with it? You can hire somebody
3: else to take care of
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sure, okay. You can, can you hire somebody. You, you can afford it, but also whatever money you have left over that you're not using or whatever, it should be spent on charity or spent to go better somebody's life or, you know, somebody that is humble to try and at least help in some way, right? I mean, that's that's what we're called to do as Christians, I mean, that's one of the things in the story of Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man, I mean, he he's he's an example of what not to be in James. I think that's a clear picture of what James is talking about here, that the rich man, when Lazarus and the rich man both die on the same night, Lazarus goes to uh to heaven, basically. He he goes to the place where they await the Savior, and then the rich man goes in to torment in hell. And you say, why? Because they, like, it's kind of amazing because the rich man looks and he knows who Lazarus is. And Lazarus was at his gate the whole time. While Lazarus was starving, the rich man was feasting sumptuously. Meaning that he, like every single day, he was stuffing himself to the gills every day. And while this man that he knew was dying of starvation, right? So in that sense, the rich man is known for his vice. He's known for his wealth, and that's all he'll ever be known for. It's funny how Lazarus has a name. The rich man doesn't, right? He's only known by his sin that he did not, he did not humble himself. He did not, he did not give of his wealth so that Lazarus could be taken care of or anybody else, right? Um, so it's, it's one of these things of like when you say, when James says, And the rich should boast in his humiliation, in that he is boasting that God has given him all these things that he can give away, or that he can help with, right? And that is him humbling himself to say, I'm going to bring myself down to help someone that's of lower estate than I am, right? And that's what he should boast in, to say, God has blessed me so I can bless others. Thanks be to God. Right. Yeah.
5: Don't go Boasting about it right that you're helping all these people and you're oh i gave this much money to this charity look at me you know that's where it gets into trouble
0: sure i mean and jesus says uh you are uh, uh he says let your light so shine so that others what would glorify you no so that others would glorify god right and what what he is doing through you. So yeah, if a rich person is doing a lot of good stuff, and Jesus also says, don't let your right hand know what the left hand is doing, right, that sort of thing, and so it's like, if somebody points out and says,
4: thank you so much, and you go, no, thanks be to God, and just leave it alone. You know, last, I'm not to change the subject or anything last night on Chopped. They (laughs) have this, (laughs) they have this contest where they buy groceries and they make a, a meal yeah okay yeah. well they have so much money and this one man i just said well there's hope for the world yeah <laughs> he had money left over yeah. Yeah. with his food that he had bought and he handed it to a poor little lady walking out of the grocery store that's well wonderful. and it
1: just well that's wonderful lovely. thanks be to god what happens
0: when you you actually see that happen? Uh-huh. You just want to fall
5: down and cry because uh-huh. you just see it
0: happen. No outfits, this. Um, anyway, so yeah, I mean, yes, yes, that's that's something that we, yeah, when someone has something left over when you give it away, right? That is humbling yourself for the sake of others. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, um I say I think there's something here I want to add to that. Any other thoughts about that?
2: I have a nephew that's very wealthy and um, when in his church when there is someone in need, my nephew will give Good. to the family or whatever Good. And he made sure when he was coaching, that they had prayer before the game and after the game. Mm-hmm. He made sure of that. Mm-hmm. But he does not boast about what he does. But he does this all the time. Yeah. Someone yeah. needs help, he's there. Good. Thanks be yeah. to God. Yeah, he's a wonderful nephew. He's my brother's son. Now, my brother, he Boast <laughs> about what he's got. <laughs> I've
4: got this good
2: it's a big son, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. Rich son. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, I've got two or three cars sitting out in the garage, but Ellen, you, know, you can drive my pickup. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's no, okay. He's, That's funny. He's a good brother. That's good.
0: It's good to have a good good brother and a... Uh, a
2: nephew that I'm good really good nephew. It's a good example. Of. That's
0: really great. Unique. Good. So to wrap this first question up a little bit, um, something to keep in mind is that humility for the Christian is the extension of uh, what we know about Christ to other people. Right? So what we know about Christ is what what did what did what did Jesus say that he came to do
5: to serve and not to be served that's right
0: i did not come to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many right so in likewise fashion we should give our lives or our livelihoods you know we're not called to just give well we're not called to necessarily give so that we're on the street so that somebody else can be comfortable, right? But at the same time, we are called to say, "Well, I've got I've got so much left over," and that's why, on some level, I'm this promise it's not going to be a huge tithing thing, but it's something that's really interesting to me. That it's been it was told to me once, and I was like, "Ah, that sounds really weird to think of it this way." But when you tithe, well, it's ten it's ten percent, right? Typically. Um, There's guidelines for that, but it's not a mandated thing that if you don't tithe, you're going to hell, right? But it's one of those things that it was told to me when you tithe and you just go ahead and make it a habit and say, I'm giving 10% every month, right? Every quarter, whatever it is, however you want to do it. I'm giving 10%. 10%. Now I have the ability and the freedom to give more if I would wish to, right? It sounds kind of funny when you first hear it, but when you say, when someone comes to you and says, you know, will you donate to our campaign? Will you help us with this person or help us with that? Sometimes the temptation, if you haven't given your tithe yet, you go, I can't do that. I haven't even given my 10% yet. Right. But when you go ahead and give your 10, 10%, you will see that God blesses you enough to say, you know what? I, I can go without that cup of coffee or I can, I, I can go without going out to eat uh, after Bible study or something like that. Not, you know, we'll probably still go out after this. But, uh, but, you know, it's just one of those things like, I'm going to give up that for just one week so I can help this person. right And that's not a burden to me. I do it gladly and freely. Right? So this is something to think about. But humility for the Christian is the extension of the love of Jesus to other people in daily life. Yeah. He gave of himself and we give of ourselves. Um, all right. How about that next question? Uh, in verse 12... James offers more encouragement to those who are suffering. How does he encourage us?
5: How does James encourage us? Yeah, how does James
0: encourage us? In in verse 12.
2: Trusting
0: God through mm-hmm. our trials. Yeah. yeah. Blessed is the man who remains yeah. steadfast under trial.
2: Right.
0: For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Yeah. Um, this, so he reminds us of life everlasting that is ours in Jesus Christ, right? Uh, that God will give to those who love him and who patiently endure. Um, and we can only patiently endure by his love that is given to us, right? It is not a power within ourselves. It is wholly given by God, right? So it's one of those things where also, you want to know what else is kind of neat? Uh, in the Greek, I just want to point this out real quick. In that, in that verse, um, and I think it's also in Revelation 19, right? Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee the crown of life, right? Um, the word for crown See if you can kind of catch the connection here. I think it's really neat. Uh, I'll write it in Greek and then I'll write it out in English. Right? So so crown is in Greek. Can y'all read that?
2: <laughs> what
0: does that say? Stephanos. is that a name for somebody? Stephen. Stephen. Who was Stephen? The martyr. The martyr, right? The first martyr for Christ. Be be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Like Stephen, I don't think it was an I don't think it was a mistake that his name is pointing to crown, right? So that when you hear about faithfulness unto death, you're always hearkening back to Stephen and what and the great and the great confession that he made uh, in the face of death, that he wasn't scared, he wasn't more fearful of those who could destroy the body than he was of the one who could cast both body and soul into hell, right? He was faithful and he even was, in essence, just like Jesus or being like Jesus in a certain way by saying, as, as, as he was about to die, praying, Father, do not hold this against them, right? So um, that's what it means to receive the crown of life, right? And kind of like we talked about last time, perfection, Christian perfection is, is knowing and understanding that you should love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, right? Like Stephen did. So... Um, There's nothing on there. there,
3: nothing on there. <laughs> a few things.
0: There you go. (laughs) There you go. So, anyways, so yeah, so I thought that was a neat. That's a very neat connection, right? He reminds us of the crown of life, and like I said, crown is tied to Stephen. Very, very neat. Um, Also, uh, this is tied to Psalm one, right? Where you see, blessed is the man that does not sit in the seat of the scornful, but blessed is he who, uh, who, who, who. Um, meditates on the law day and night, right? That sort of thing. And then also it's tied to the Beatitudes, right? Uh, Blessed are the meeks, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are you when they persecute you and speak all kinds of falsehoods against you for my sake, right? For so you are like the prophets who came before you. All these blessings come in the face of withstanding trials, right? being steadfast because of God's love given to you, okay? So this is not moralistic, but it is messianic in a way, right? It's because moralism is all about what we do and how we do it and, you know, whether it's good or bad or whatever, but it's messianic because it points to Christ. You want to teach? You got some time before before you can get up here, son. Um... So, yes, so it's, it's it's all about keeping your eyes on Christ and uh, being like being like St. Stephen, in a way, right? Because he was like Christ. <clears throat> so, uh, any other questions about that? I know y'all are a bit distracted with my son here. But, uh,
5: Come
0: here. Do y'all have any questions or comments? No. No. Pretty good, though, that he gives such good, good encouragement, right? Um, mama, Come on that one. Sorry. It's okay.
2: Come on now.
0: He's a very cute distraction, but a distraction nonetheless. Mm-hmm.
2: Is he okay? He can't open it. He wants to play with that. That's all
0: right. All right. So the next question: um, the te- the temptations to deny one's faith in trials, to doubt. God and to take pride in riches are part of a Christian's life. But when Christians see these temptations come into their lives, they are tempted to commit yet another sin. What is that?
2: Giving in to sin.
0: Well, but when they give in, what's another sin they're tempted to do?
2: Oh.
0: Deny Christ. To deny Christ. Okay, but what is, what is, what is James saying here? Um, in verse
3: 13. That God is
0: tempting me. Yeah, that God's, God's the reason for my downfall. Right? God is the one who not only is tempting me, but leading me into sin. Right? So, to blame God for the temptations is the sin that we're tempted to do when we fall into sin. Right? Uh, and that's just heaping on problems keeping on the sin right uh, because uh, James points out that temptations do not come from God but from where Amen. yeah from our sinful nature right either either ours or somebody else's right and and during a midweek service when I talked about um, when Abraham was called on by God to sacrifice his son Isaac Luther disagreed like Luther kind of, works with James here a little bit. And he says, James is talking about temptation to sin. Uh, but God does tempt in another way that is to test our faith. So there's, a, there's, there's another sense of temptation where it's synonymous with a testing and a trying. And that's what God was doing with Abraham when he told him to sacrifice his son Isaac. It's not that he was leading him to do something sinful, because if God commands you to do something, it's a good thing, right? And then, but but all of a sudden, you know, you find out that he's tempting him and trying him, but he's not tempting him to do something necessarily sinful, right? So it's, it's not like, I don't know. I'm not going to go into a whole lot of, examples in there because they're just like so many. But the thing is, is that when we see, um, uh, what is it? When we see that James agrees with Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, right? Lead us not into temptation. In fact, Luther even ties that in the small catechism. It's like, what does this mean? And he begins with God tempts no one, right? God tempts no one to sin, Right? So when we pray, lead us not into temptation, that is a request for God to equip the Christian to overcome temptation, right? That's saying, Lord, lead us not into temptation. We know that you won't, but that is our request for you to give us strength in the midst of it, okay?
3: Well, a good example of that is today's moral values. You know, most Christians just sit back and say, well, whatever they want to believe, they can believe. And they really ought to stand up and say something. That's exactly right. And you're going to get chastised, and you're going to get problems for doing it, but that's what we're expected to do. We need to challenge those people. Yeah. That shows love, too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, on some level,
0: by not saying anything, that actually shows hatred, mm-hmm. right? When you, when you When you know someone, let's just say, like, Let's say someone's walking and they're about to walk off a cliff, and you know the cliff edge is there, but they don't. Would that be very loving to say, have fun? <laughs> well, it
2: depends on who Weed. the person is. No, Alice,
0: that doesn't depend on who the person is. I'm
2: just kidding.
0: <laughs> Again. Perfection for the Christian is understanding that you should pray for those who hate you and all these things. They should love your enemies. Right? I know, I know. <laughs> I
2: know. Well we know. gotta have a little humor. Oh absolutely.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's why I'm giving you a hard time. She let you expand answer.
1: Yeah, that's right.
3: She
0: got me she got me going there. No, but it's, it's true. It's I mean so I mean that is that is an unloving thing to not say anything when you should. Um, it is not showing love to someone by letting them go off and just basically commit suicide or fall into a trap um, when you could do something about it. Yeah. So it's one of those things of saying, you know, lead us not into temptation. Um, we don't blame God for the temptation to sin because we know that it, it's all the other things. It's the world, our sinful flesh, and the devil. All those things we are saved from in our baptism, right? And and in and in the the grace that is supplied in that baptism. So it's like all, all those. It's the unholy Trinity, the world, the devil, and our sinful flesh. Right? Those are the things That's that what lead they us.
4: They say the six 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 is. Oh really?
0: Mm-hmm. Who says that? I
5: don't know who said that. Somebody when I went through. Uh huh. Revelations, here I but they say that the six 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 is uh. Oh, it's in
0: this Bible or my other Bible. In all of them. <laughs> <Or nuts. laughs> yeah, what's well, kind of fun? I mean that that's actually a really neat explanation. I've, I've actually never heard that. But I I mean the classic explanation for six 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 understanding Greek and Hebrew numerology and stuff like that it translates out to Nero Caesar, right? because so, at that time he was persecuting the Christians. Yeah, Sorry. they say
5: the 666 is the trinity of evil. That's what my notes say here. Yeah. And it's Satan, secular, and religion. And religion? That's what they say. That's what I have written down here. I wonder.
0: That's interesting. I've never, I've, I've never heard the secular and religion
3: mm-hmm. part. They must be talking about the Catholics. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I think this
5: was, uh, when I went through this this study, it was uh flesh there, Okay. they um, um, St. Andrews. St. Andrews, yeah. In Houston? All tapes. Yeah, in Houston. Okay. So I think that's where I, I got all the stuff written in there.
0: Revelation is a very interesting book. It is. Lots of, lots of different interpretations yeah. for it. Maybe we should do a study on that someday.
5: I'd like to hear your interpretation. Okay. We've I talked really about that. Yeah. yeah. I would, I maybe, would. Maybe we will. Because, I mean, this was years ago that I went through this, and I have all of his tapes. Okay. You know, little Set tapes yeah. and everything. You have anything to play, on. I think I might have something somewhere, but anyway, that's where I got all these notes. But it would be interesting to see huh? how it might have things it's, might have changed or interpretations might have.
0: Yeah, changed it's kind of tough because yeah, it's a very symbolic book. Oh, it's a very. I'd be I'd be glad book. to do a study on that. So yeah. we can look forward to that one for sure. Um, Take yeah right. <laughs> Maybe Christ will come back and we won't need to bother. Uh, <laughs> but it'd be good. I think it'd be very good. Um, so, anyways, um, we have the next question. We got okay, one. so back to this question. Yes, please go ahead.
5: God Absolutely. tempts us only to test our faith. He does not tempt us into sin. Right. Is that what basically? Yeah, he's is? not gonna.
0: He's not gonna put. It's one of these things of like. Um, it's a it's 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 a bit tough to deal with on some level because you hear the word tempt, and you say, well, it's got to be only one way because temptation is never good, right? And so when you see um, what is that that verse? It's, um, um, trying to see. God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. On, verse 13. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what Luther was trying to make with Abraham, the, the point that he was trying to make with Abraham, is because maybe, maybe it was a certain way of speaking in German. I'm not quite sure. Um, and maybe there was a discrepancy there but, between Hebrew and Greek. But, I mean, I think he was just trying to say, in essence that there is a temptation into sin and that is not what God does, right? Um, God, God places before us trials and the temptation doesn't come from him, it comes from us, right? So that's what I think the main point is. So let's, let's, let's keep that very simple and say the temptation comes from ourselves, from our sinful nature, Right? So in essence, if when Abraham was tested, when he was told to sacrifice his son Isaac, whatever temptation that came from diso- that wanted him to go into disobeying God's command came from himself. right But the leading through the temptation was God and the faith that, that Abraham had that brought him through that. right. So it's one of these things of just saying, God tries us, but he doesn't tempt us he 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 tests us but he doesn't tempt us to sin does that make more sense yes. it kind of helps a little bit better yeah yes. i do agree that's one of those things that better to better to clarify on that point than to say you know no really god does tempt you but just in this you know it's it's a lot easier to say no he tries us he tests us but we are the one who suffers and brings about the actual temptation to feel to disobey right um so. I think the devil has a lot to do with it. Absolutely,
3: absolutely. I mean,
2: that's that,
3: that's what I think. You know, the devil does have a lot to do with it, it tempting And when you're asking, you know, leave, you know, leave, do not lead me into temptation. To me, it's just, you know, keep my walk away from the devil. Yeah, keep me on the straight and narrow, right?
0: Yeah. I don't want to walk into him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, keep me out of the devil's yard, basically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like the tough love aspect of life. Mm. If you've got a grandchild on drugs, mm-hmm. do you continue to give him that money at Christmas and stuff like that? And,
0: you know. Sometimes you have to just walk away. Yeah. Or yeah. I mean, that's a that's a hard thing to know what to do. It mm-hmm. takes it takes wisdom for sure to say well, how do I help this person. Um, but yeah, when it comes to temptation, I mean, uh, the devil has something to do with it. Uh, it's kind of one of those things, like you know. So when God created. The Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Did he tempt them by putting the tree in there and saying, "Don't eat of this fruit"? Was he was he tempting them? No, the devil came around and 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 uh, began to twist things and enticed and brought them over into darkness. Right. So it's one of those things where you say, "The devil, you know, the world, the devil, and my sinful flesh." Those are the things that lead me to temptation. Um, but God is not one who will do that. God will lead me through it, um, and he will also bless me in spite of it. All right. So, any other thoughts about that? Questions? All right. Well, how about let's keep going on this last one here on this page, and then we'll uh, get get to the apply section on to the next part. Um so James points out what comes from the Lord. What temptations does this fact help us combat? So we see what that's that's the rest of verse sixteen through eighteen, right? So what does come from the Lord?
5: Every good and
0: perfect
3: gift
1: from uh-huh. above. And like he said in the beginning, we are the first fruits of God's creation.
0: Yes. Yeah, we are the first fruits brought forward as an offering for Him, right? That uh, to be given as to be His own. So the Lord gives us every good and perfect gift, right? Um, right? It Says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no va- variation or shadow due to change, we see that first this helps us, well, so what, is, what does that help us combat? Um, what, what, what temptations does the fact that God gives us every good and perfect gift help us combat? Deception. Deception, very good, yeah, absolutely. Anything else?
2: Give
5: us a
0: hint. <laughs> <laughs> well, so what was the temptation that we just talked about? We're, who would we? Who are we tempted to blame when temptation comes our way? God. 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 So that's one of the temptations that is uh, thwarted when we know that every good and perfect gift comes from God. We say, you "No, know, God's 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 not tempting me. He is trying me." He is testing me and you know it's like I, I don't I, I don't know if you have a problem if you have a problem with uh, I, I guess name a vice like if 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 you have a problem with uh, <clears throat> drinking if you have a problem with you know gluttony or sloth or pride or whatever it's like there are going to be times like you're going to face things in the world Let's say you have a problem with drinking and the way you go home is to drive by Judy's liquor store or something like that, right? And you say, like, that's where I'd go. So now uh, um, you say, well, that's not the way I'm going to go home anymore. I'm going to, it's going to be a a pain, but I'm going to take the side streets. I'm going to go around uh, Judy's or whatever. I'm going to go, not, nothing against Judy's, it's. A nice local business, but you know, it's, it's one of those so things We get like, our
5: communion plan. Oh good, well, and <laughs> that's a good thing. Yeah,
0: and we thank them for that. Uh, but yeah, so it's one of those things you say, uh, or or you know, if, if you have a problem with lust, you say, you know, I'm just not gonna go certain places, or I'm not gonna drive by certain places or whatever, or you know, if something is in my field of, you know, guys suffer with this, right? If a woman that is, you know, provocatively dressed walks in front of me, I'm going to be doing my best to just look away or do something else, right? Distract myself in a different way. What? Or have a wreck. Or have a, yeah. <laughs> or at least, at least, you know, I don't know, start start praying, right? Um, so it's it's some of those things, right? Or, or like, you know, just don't wind up going somewhere where you know you're going to be tempted. It's, it's going to be a tough thing. But in the end, you're not going to say, God is tempting me with this. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't go to the gym anymore because of the way the women dress. Or I can't, I can't drive by this. And I'm blaming God for that. It's like, no, you should blame yourself because you're the one who has the problem, right? And on top of that, God is giving you the strength to get through it. He's the one who's helping you. He's the one telling you it's going to be okay to take a side street instead of having to drive by that store whatever, you know. Um, he's the one who's going to get you through it. So God does not send temptation, but good gifts, right? Another thing, another temptation this helps us combat is the idea that this world can offer us the greater good, right? So that's one thing that Satan really loves to try and entice us with, that God is holding out on you. God is not wanting you to have all the good things that you would like to have, right? Uh, again, you have a problem with drinking, you have a problem with lust, you have a problem with uh, sloth or gluttony or pride or whatever, right? And you say, uh, you know, God doesn't, it's like, I can't believe God would want me not to have a drink. It's like, well, he just doesn't want you to have too many drinks, right? I can't believe God wouldn't want me to enact on the desires of my heart. It's like, well, not those desires, right? Whatever it might be, you know, um, uh, you know, God's God's holding out on me, but He doesn't, right? Because what He wants for you is what is truly good, right? And that's why the Ten Commandments are such a a good thing. They keep us from ourselves, right? They keep us from harming ourselves. Yeah, no, I saw your I saw the bookmark and it triggered me off here. I mean, the the ten the Ten Commandments really do remind us. It's like, no, God wants us to do and to understand that every good thing comes from Him, right? Um, and that any good that we have to do is from him as well, right? We wouldn't know that you should have no other gods unless we were told, right? We wouldn't know necessarily that adultery was bad unless he told us or stealing. I mean, we kind of know these things because the law is written on our hearts, but the fullness of it, we wouldn't know unless he told us. So that's a good gift, right? The law, um, And the gospel is a good gift as well to say that you are freed from your sin, right? To say that that no longer has sway over you as a Christian now. So um, everything good comes from one source only, from God above. God is the only one who gives the good things. And um, let me see. uh, And above all, this is not necessarily something—I mean, all, all good gifts come from God above, uh, and that's true. He gives us our daily bread, right? We know that from, from the small catechism and the creeds, you know? He gives us our daily bread, everything we need to sustain this body and life. But primarily, he gives us his son, right? Uh, he gives us his son, and in fact, um, when it says—it's uh, actually kind of interesting in the Greek there when it says— every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights. That what happened, I think this is a huge, like a huge sign pointing to the incarnation that God came down and became man, right? That God came down uh, to save us as a perfect and pure and good gift for us. Yeah. So, I mean, it is about all the things that we get materially and in our family and our friends, but above and beyond, it is also that Christ is the good and perfect gift. Yeah. Any, any questions about that? Also, one more thing to add in there. The word for gift in Greek is Didomi. I mean, it's a, that's that's like the, that's like the dictionary form. I'm not going to get into all the weeds of it, but it's very interesting that when it says that Jesus is betrayed, it's para didomi. He was given over, right? So in that sense, a gift in, in that sense, and have something be given over is all about sacrifice. Right? God gives of His good gifts sacrificially to you. And he does so especially in Christ. Yeah. Something else to keep in mind. Any other thoughts? Questions? I'm not doing too bad on time here. We can push, right, push right through. Um, apply. Now we get to the apply section for this part. So into which of the two classes of people listed in verses 9 through 11 do most people in the United States fall? So uh, there's two two classes of people listed in verses nine through eleven, wealthy. the wealthy and the mm-hmm. humble, right? So which so you think that most of, most people in the United States fall in the wealthy category? I'd say so, right? I, I mean, uh, even even our even those below poverty level, the third world. Nations look at them and they say, You got it really good. You got a TV, you got air conditioning,
2: you
5: got a cell phone, you got got a cell phone. phone. (laughs) Yeah, of
0: course. Yeah, right. So it's just like, You got it really, you got it made in a lot of ways. That that doesn't mean they're not struggling in some way, but in comparison, they've got it pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. So um, it 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 says, you know, and this, this is another question. If you fall into this category of what can you be proud of? What do we say about those who are wealthy that they can be proud of? Gifts of God. Gifts of God. To the wealthy. And he expects you to use them. Yes, he expects you to use them. He expects you to humble yourself and say... Even though God has blessed me with great wealth and riches, I am going to come down to those who need it and say, "How can I help you? You know, what can I do? Uh, how can I give, or whatever?" And you know, be wise about it. Don't just you, know, you, you don't have to just throw it away. But those who need it, give right. Uh, so you can be proud that you can rejoice. You can rejoice that your wealth will. On one hand, soon pass away, so you don't have to be burdened by it anymore. But also, that um, you can be humbled by the fact that you have abilities to help people. Yeah. Um, and yeah, some some may say that they give generously to the Lord as a testimony to the fact that their wealth will not last, and they do not place their hope in them. Right. That's a great testimony to have. People may say, why do you give all your money to the church or to a charity or some other sort of ministry or something like that? And you go, because that's where it's really going to go for good. It's not the government. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's it's not the government. To any FBI agents listening or IRS agents listening.
5: um, That was a joke.
0: Uh, so, <laughs> anyways, no, no, I, but you're right, it's it's not the government. Actually, you know what's really sad, slight tangent, it's really sad that we've taken the realm of welfare out of the hands of the church and now it's in the hands of the government and where, you know, we wouldn't, it's kind of funny, like all, all, the, all these things we take for granted, hospitals, colleges, you know, welfare, all that stuff was started by Christians in the church, right? You didn't have colleges the way you have them now without the church. You didn't have hospitals the way you have them now without the church. You didn't have welfare and the the just general desire to help people of low estate without the church, right? And in some ways, in ancient times, if you were poor, you stayed poor and no one cared. It was your own fault. Something happened. You deserved it, right? But we as Christians say you know jesus says you know that i was sick and you came to see me right you know i was in jail and you came that's right so it's one and and so um it's one of these things where you say well we we love others because god first loved us in christ yeah but it's like i said it's really sad that nowadays even Christians are tempted to say, why should I give even more to help people when it's already taken out of my check or whatever to go to the government so they can help people? It, it totally ruins the spirit of charity. totally ruins the spirit of trying to help those that are lowly. Uh, or it can. It can. Some people, thanks, thankfully, are not dissuaded by that. Look at Germany. Look at Germany?
2: Yeah.
3: You know, it's a socialist country. Mm. And if, in the past, if you dis- if you said that you were a church member, your taxes were 55% of your gross income. Mm. And if you were a non-church member, it was 65%. The expectation was that if you were a church member, you were giving 10% to the church. Well then the churches started falling on hard times. So they bumped the total contribution up to 65%, whether you go to church or not, and 10% of the gross revenue of the country went to try to support the churches. (laughs) Well, that didn't work either because nobody was going to church. Yeah, because they're faithless in a lot of ways, yeah. Yeah, so then they said, okay, we're just gonna quit giving to the churches. And now the United States is sending money to Germany to help sustain the churches so they don't fall apart. And to me, it's stupid. If the people in Germany aren't going to support their own churches, let them fall apart. That's right. It's very, it's, it's very sad,
0: but that's, that's, that's bad fruit. right? Yep. That's bad fruit. Um, they, they think they can solve it with money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really what they need is faith. It won't be you if you have a terminal disease over there. Yeah. A lot
3: of, uh, in a lot of Because it's 18 especially. months before you see a specialist. Yeah, and that may you be most all you have. People leave the country, they go to France or Italy to get treatment if they have a terminal disease because they can't get it in Germany. Yeah. But yet they're paying all that money for taxes to support their socialistic system. Hey, yeah, you see what happens when I go on a tangent.
0: Now we <laughs> 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 but you're not wrong, Tim. I think you're, yeah, you're, you're very right.
3: A, I agree with you that. The biggest mistake that the people in the United States was, was turning over charity to the government, yeah. giving the government too much power. Yeah. You know, everything was spying down for 150, 200 years with the old system, the churches supporting the people, uh, supporting the hospitals and mm-hmm. clinics, mm-hmm. paying for education for the kids and mm-hmm. what have you. Mm-hmm. and. Yeah. That's what made the country great and why it grew. Yeah. God blessed the country significantly. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we say, well, no, let's let okay. the government take care of it. I'm tired of working. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. Well, Those churches uh, weren't that virtuous in operating hospitals. Oh really? No. Maybe not everywhere. My experience is with the Catholic Church, but mm. the Catholic mm. hospital. Of north when I was in the service uh-huh. uh, the patient was delivered to the hospital covered in blood and they wouldn't let him in the front door With a, I mean it's an ambulance brought him to the hospital they wouldn't let him in the door until they found out who was paying
0: oof mm. <laughs> well maybe that's, that's the corruption of, or that's like the rot of the institution uh, I, over time even the church suffers that for sure if they've lost their mooring yeah. Well, the Methodist churches, I mean, the Methodist hospital, fell into the same trap. Yeah. Well, when when you have that, again, when you have that much wealth, when you have that much to hold on to, it becomes a big distraction.
2: Yeah.
0: Right? All right, so next, next part in the apply section. So some say that God's word is a dead letter and that only the Holy Spirit can give us spiritual life and wisdom. React to that on the basis of verse 18. You would baptism
1: gives us new life restores us into his family new life in Christ
0: mm-hmm yeah he brings us forth by the word of truth so someone and it's kind of funny because like people will say really sacramentarians or those who believe that baptism or whatever is just a symbol it's just it's just a, a thing you do in obedience to God. It doesn't really do anything because it's man's work. You know, that's like usually what Baptists will say. And the extreme side of that will say, the word is a dead letter, right? It doesn't give life. And they're kind of quoting Paul. On, they're, they're, they're kind of twisting what Paul has to say there, actually. Because um, he'll, he'll say, uh, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And I... For us, we would see that as law and gospel, primarily. And say, well yeah, the letter of the law says that you're dead in your sin. And then the spirit, which is actually also given through a word, (laughs) gives you life. Yeah, and that's what James is saying here too. Of his own will, that is God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That God's word is powerful, it is the tool of the spirit. It, is, it is, is. the tool the spirit uses to give us new birth, right? God's spirit. Um, God's spirit. Is, 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 is active in our conversion, uh, but the word of God, the gospel, is credited with our rebirth, right? I mean, baptism is nothing without the word, right? Because if it's just water, it's just uh, like. Like um, Luther says, it's just a bathkeeper's baptism. It's just water. It's just washing off dirt. John but with, the Baptist's baptism. Huh? John the Baptist's baptism. Pretty much, yeah. John the Baptist's baptism was... Uh, n- and I've gotten... Like, people, people get upset at me when I say something like this. I'm trying to be very careful with how I say this. John the Baptist's baptism was significant and essential for the coming and proclamation of the coming of Jesus Christ. But it is not the same baptism as what Jesus brings in Matthew 28, right? Because John's baptism is a baptism into repentance. Jesus' baptism is a washing of the the Word of God with the name of God, the Trinitarian name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is of repentance and faith and salvation, right? Because even in Acts, those who... Only knew of John's baptism, they still had to have the laying on of hands to receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit was not conferred in John's baptism. Yeah, but in Jesus's baptism, it is right. Yep. They're linked, but they're not. But but they're distinct. Let's just say that that kind of rhymes. That's nice. Yeah. They're linked, but they're distinct. All right. Any questions about baptism on this one? Do um, you want to take a quick break? Five minutes or so, and then, and then we'll come back and go on the next sheet. <clears throat> all right, well, we're back now. Um, we're going to go through this this last part of chapter one uh, fairly quickly. Um, not too fast. If you all have questions, we'll, we'll, we'll tackle them. But um, who wants to read James 1, verses uh, 19 through 27?
3: Any takers? Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer or the word and, and not a doer, of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no (coughs) hearer who forgets but doers who act, a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives to his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows and their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Okay, so
0: some, some, te- some harsh teaching, depending on who you are, right? Uh, and some speaking of religion, something we should all keep in mind, right? Let's, let's take a look at verse 25 uh, on our sheet here. So, the perfect law, the law of liberty. Sounds kind of contradictory, doesn't it? Uh, but James is obviously referring to God's word as a whole, as he did in verses 21 and 22. Okay? The message of Christ alone gives us freedom. Recall how God's laws to his Old Testament people were filled with pictures of the coming Savior. The gospel message embedded as it was in, ev- in the very ceremonies and laws that made up the Old Covenant freed the people to love and serve God. That law freed the people to let the law guide and shape their lives and to be obedient to Christ. Remember, James is speaking as an Old Testament believer. I mean, I, I'll take some, I'll quibble with that a little bit here. As an Old Testament believer, he confesses that the law is fulfilled in Christ and that Christ is the Savior of all. But he and his people still use the Old Testament as their scripture. Accordingly, the term law refers to both God's gospel promises in verse 21 and his will, that is the law in the narrow sense, verse 22. I'm going to quibble with that a little bit, the Old Testament believer. I I think in a lot of ways... We as Christians, we are aided by certain things in our Bibles that are, that are printed out for us. We're aided by chapters and verses and things. It helps us find what we're looking for. But in a lot of ways, it keeps us from seeing the whole scope of things. You can get narrowly, like a lot of errors in the church come from narrowly focusing on one verse and this verse. And you take these out of context or whatever, as opposed to saying, well, what is the whole chapter? What is the whole book talking about? I mean... That's why we get a lot of misunderstandings about baptism in Romans. And then you say, well, you look at the whole scope of Romans 6 and the whole book of Romans and you see that baptism is a certain thing or whatever. Um, Another thing I think is a disservice to us is the we should understand there is a division or a distinction, I guess you could say, a distinction between the Old and, and, and the New Testaments, but they're not two different testaments. They're the same testament in the sense that they're both telling of God's will. They're, they're both telling of His law and His gospel. The gospel is all throughout the Old Testament, right? God's grace is shown all throughout the Old Testament. Maybe what they're talking about here is this. Uh, James and John and Paul and uh, Ringo and no, I'm saying, uh, uh, and Peter and you know, all these guys, right? Um, what's that? Bartholomew. Bartholomew, yeah, Bartholomew, Thomas, all these guys. They didn't have scriptures, they didn't, they didn't have Paul's epistles to go off of at the moment, right? Those, those things came about later. They didn't have the written gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John to go off of in that moment. You see in Acts, Peter is preaching from the Old Testament, right? He's preaching Amos um, and Isaiah and all, and, you know, all these prophets because they're prophesying to Christ. So when they say that he's an Old Testament uh, what is it, an, an Old Testament believer. I mean, really, he's just a Christian. I don't know why they need to make that distinction there. It's it's kind of a funny distinction to me because there are Christians in the Old Testament, right? David was a Christian. Abraham was a Christian. Uh, Adam and Eve were Christians, right? But they just did not have the fullness of the revelation yet. So that's, I just want to quibble with that a little bit because it, it just makes it seem like he's different from us. He's not different from us. He believes the same promises, yeah? Uh, he, he believes the same promises. He is explaining them in a way that may not be well-versed for us. Like We're not, we're not really all that well-versed in the Old Testament as much as we should be to say, <clears throat> this is where God's grace is shown. But you see things like what we read in Isaiah uh, 40 on Sunday, right? That God is the one who gives strength to the weak. That's grace, right? He is the one who binds up the weak so that they will be strong. That sort of thing. And and it's all throughout in other places too. So James is using this, this law term also in an Old Testament sense or in the, yeah, in that Old Testament sense because when you read like Psalm 1, blessed is the man who meditates on the law day and night, what you see is that's Torah, right? And Torah means the whole teaching. Um, and sadly, it gets translated as law. So when, when when we see law, we say, oh, those are rules and regulations and things to do as opposed to just instruction as a whole. It's the fullness of the law and the gospel fully in God's word. So that's what he's talking about, the law, uh, the perfect law, the law of liberty, right? The teaching, the um, yeah, the things that have that that have been done for you, so that you now go you now go and do. Um, so, let's let's go to the discuss portion. Why is being quick to listen and slow to speak a great help in controlling your anger? I don't be too slow to speak.
2: Well, <laughs> I, I can figure that
0: out. Okay,
5: fair enough you're gonna say something? well I mean you <laughs> you get angry at somebody and you're listening to them you know talk and when you start speaking you're talk- <laughs> you can say things that you're that you'll feel sorry for later okay yeah I mean and yeah. Been there, done that.
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah, anger is an emotional response. It is I mean, emotions always gets you in trouble. It's a <laughs> reaction.
0: Yeah, anger. It's really actually interesting though, because like anger is tied to emotions, but anger also is separate from emotions on some on some level. I'm not going to get into all all of it, but you know, God has righteous anger. We have we have cause to be righteously. Um, Righteously angry about certain things, right? You know, someone is murdered, someone is stolen from, or whatever. Someone is hurt unjustly. We can be angry about that. We, we see also in the Psalms, be angry and do not sin, right? Um, but the thing is is that uh, we have to distinguish. Is this righteous anger or is this my anger? Is this because I don't like that person or because, God, or because that person is acting against God's will or something like that, right? Have I been sinned against or has God been sinned against? In what they're doing, and what am I really upset about? Yeah, but it brings it back. You have to test your emotions a little bit and say, "Why do I feel the way that I feel?" Because the way that you feel is not necessarily a bad thing. Emotions, in, in and of themselves, <coughs> aren't bad, but they are, but they can be, and usually are tainted by sin. Right? Our anger is very likely, in a lot of instances, not the
3: righteous anger that God calls for. Well, in the Bible tells. Be slow to anger. That's right. It doesn't say don't matter. Don't get angry. Exactly. Yeah. But be slow. Right. Evaluate. Make sure that you're understanding what's going on. Yeah. And it's justified anger.
4: Yeah.
0: And and um, when you see also in the proverbs, it says that a a harsh response uh, stirs up anger, but a what is it? A harsh a harsh word stirs up anger. But a, I'm probably I'm probably paraphrasing this a little bit. But a, but a soft, but a soft word turns away wrath, right? So how you respond can handle how someone else responds too, and if you can keep that in check, you know it's okay to be angry. you know and it, but if you can kind of hold back a little bit and exercise with God's help that fruit of the spirit that is self-control, right, and say, though I'm angry because this person said something that offended me, I'm going to take the time, and I've, I've heard this recently, curiosity, actually, is a great way of controlling your anger. Think about that. If someone's angry at you because of what you've done or said or whatever, and you immediately want to respond cuz you're angry that they're angry and it just goes back and forth and back and forth right having a mind of curiosity on some level this is not in the bible this is just some practical things having a mind of curiosity say well what exactly is making them angry i want to find out you know you seem angry what's going on there you know or whatever that is a way for you to be calm or to Have your curiosity, maybe stop for a second and think about what can I say that will maybe not escalate this, you know, slow to speak. How can I respond to this person who's clearly upset with me in a way that's going to maybe bring some understanding, at least in the very least, I'll understand what they're trying to get at, right? So when it comes to anger flaring up, uh, we tend to shoot from the hip. Real quick, right? Uh, because you you you're not thinking clearly, right? You're not thinking rationally when you're angry. So to get into the habit of self control and say, and whenever you get uh, pricked in a certain way, to say, "Oh, oh, I want to fight back," immediately, it it helps to be of a mind to pray to God first and foremost. Say, "God, give me patience and give me strength." and help me not to say the wrong thing, (laughs) right? And so, if you do not speak too quickly, your anger subsides a little bit. You take some time. I mean, they've found that this is actually very helpful, that when you're angry, it helps to kind of just stop and just, it sounds funny, but just count to 10. Give it some time.
2: I know when I go to the grocery store.
0: (laughs) I have a lot of controlled anger. Controlled anger. What that's, that's that's good. No, that's good. I don't know.
4: That's I a good.
2: To... Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, Especially the other day, at oh, oh, I wanted to say something
0: so badly, but uh, I. I heard this one funny get thing. Quiet. <clears throat> I heard this one, and this is me sharing a little bit of insight with y'all, and maybe ways you can handle this sort of thing. It came from. Like one of the top FBI negotiators, right? And 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 he he has all these tactics about how to how to calm people down and whatever. And one of his tactics is um, he'll say, you know, if somebody's upset, says it sounds counterintuitive, but the best thing to do is to neutralize the negativity by calling it out, not saying, you know, you're angry, you need to calm down. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, you know, you can, you can really take, you can really shift someone's perspective when you just simply say, it seems like you're really upset about that.
5: <laughs>
0: <laughs> See? Pow. you think so. Know, you think so. <laughs> no, you, you think so. Well, it's because they learned from like Ruby Ridge and Waco that they had to start doing stuff that was different because those things didn't work out, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like one of those things where you think someone's gonna knock you out, say, don't you tell me how I should feel, right? Um, but the, he said, it's kind of interesting, they found through, I know I'm getting on a, on a tangent, sorry about this, but it's really interesting. They did scans on people's brains. And what they did, and it happened every, no joke, every single time, while someone was in an MRI scanner, they were they were monitoring their brain activity, and they showed them pictures that were either pleasant or upsetting, and they said they could see in their brain the part that was getting upset or the part that was happy or whatever, you know. And they said, um, what are you feeling right now? And when that person said, I feel angry, all of a sudden it shifted. The part mm-hmm. of their brain that, was ang- that, that showed the anger immediately stopped. Uh, that's
3: on the left side.
0: Whatever, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. <that's> true. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the part of their brain, the part of their brain, wherever it is, the part of their brain that showed the anger actually dimmed. So they, so when they said, I feel like I'm angry, or they would say, you know, uh, our, our our scans are showing that you're happy. Immediately also, but it's kind of funny, because when they would label a happy feeling, it got brighter.
2: Mm.
0: Which, so it's one of those things that when you call these things out, first you can take your time, because you need to take your time and make sure it's the right one, right? So take your time. If someone's upset, and you just go, seem really upset by that, right? You'd be surprised when you just say it seems like you're very upset by that. Uh, you'd be surprised someone, someone will say something along the lines of, you know, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not that upset <laughs> or something, right? It helps diffuse things a little bit, but that's kind of a way to help control your anger or somebody else's anger to kind of calm them down a little bit without having to say, calm down, right? You can just simply say, uh, uh, seems like that really made you happy. Yeah, I'm re- very happy about that. Or or like, feels like you're really upset about something. Like, yeah, I'm, well, you know, it just really bothers me. So just try that sometime. It's very, it's a very interesting tactic. Um, but that requires you to have a check on your own emotions, right? It requires you to have a check on your own anger and say, I'm not going to let what they say really rock me too bad. Because what's important is that we get through the situation that we're in. Like the other person is not necessarily at odds with me. They feel a certain way and we need to get through it together, right? Uh, Especially if you're brothers and sisters in Christ, right? So especially if you're brothers and sisters in Christ, you should work together and say, um, if someone's not willing to come say, I'm angry, we need to be able to say, it seems like you're angry. Let's talk about it, right? And let's, and, and say like, What is it that makes you angry? What did I do? And we have the opportunity then to say, please forgive me. I'm sorry for that. So something to think about. Um, So quick to listen, slow to speak, because when you take the time and you keep yourself in check, it can de-escalate or diffuse the situation where instead of someone coming at you and you come right back at them in the same speed and force, that person comes at you and then you take your time. Right. And you slow it down just a little bit. Yeah. Any other thoughts or questions about that? Try that sometime. When someone's angry or someone's happy, call them out on it in a loving, you know,
5: gentle way. At the at the dinner table, when you get angry at the news, I'll say, "I think you're upset
4: about that," <laughs> <laughs> and you'll have that hair. <laughs> <way. laughs> <laughs> Oh, it seems like
5: you're upset about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not to, not to
0: quibble too much, but he said, uh, so this negotiator was like, yeah, this negotiator was like, uh, it's, he's, he, he warns heavily, this is him, and I, I, he seems to know what he's talking about. He warns heavily not to lead with I, because then it's all on you. he says if you keep it as neutral as possible and say it seems like you're upset instead of saying because you know people get in a lot of trouble on the news or whatever saying you know i hear you saying this it's like so i hear instead of it focusing on how that person is feeling right it's i i'm i'm trying it out and it's actually kind of interesting how it does it can work uh it takes practice though but it's very interesting also um, because he has a story about this where he says that he's in a he was in a six-hour standoff on in an apartment building in Harlem with these fugitives who they knew had like automatic weapons or something. And um, he was on the other side of the door in the hallway just saying over and over again for six hours, for six hours, with no Conversation coming from the other side. For six hours he kept saying things like, it seems like you're scared to come out. It seems like you don't want to come out because you're afraid that we're going to come in with guns blazing. It seems like you don't want to go to jail. You know, that sort of thing. For six hours he kept doing that until finally they opened the door and came out and surrendered themselves and then they asked him, why did you come out after all that time? And they said, because you calmed us down. Pretty amazing stuff. So just give it a shot. It's kind of cool. Um, What they
2: do
0: is today. Oh, it—that was like ten years ago. Yeah. So I mean, like, and it's neuroscience too, which I think is also theological as well. Right? You call out someone, or, or, or like you show love to them, in showing that you understand what they feel not necessarily that you agree with what they feel, but you can see it. That may, that goes a long way. Yeah. Paul, you're going to say something. Sorry, I
2: know I'm getting yeah, off Yeah,
3: you tangent. know, uh, uh, I used to take minutes for board meetings. Yeah. You don't use personal pronouns. Mm. Never. It's always like you said. <laughs> you know, like, even when we're having our council meeting, mm. Our our minutes uses names, you know. Mm-hmm. Board meetings don't do that. Hmm. It says it was decided. Ah, yes. It doesn't say. Well, Jack brought this up, and he brought this up, and they talked and they Interesting. argued. Interesting. None and they argued. Was, you know, none of that comes up. <laughs>
0: It was discussed, it was decided, yeah. And yeah. This
3: is it. So but those are the units? minutes. It, it
0: has nothing to do with yeah. yeah. Try and try and keep it as neutral as possible. Exactly. Yeah. But Interesting. But
1: how many church minutes have not had? Jack said this and it how informative that was about
0: the forming of the church. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I think. Interesting. All right, so let's keep going here. Um, good, good, good discussion. This is really fun. Um, there is a difference between righteous anger and human sinful anger. Which is James speaking about in verse 20? Human sinful. Yeah. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So he's talking about sinful human anger. Uh, there is a kind of anger that is a sign of zeal for God's word such as the anger Jesus showed when he drove the 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 money changers out of the temple, right? I mean, that's, it's, it's one of those things of like, you know, if someone comes in, like, this is an extreme example, if someone comes into our church and starts shooting, oh, you should have, huh? no, I know, it's a horrible thing, but that's, I mean, that's a danger for sure, and churches should be aware and ready for it on the possibility. But it's like, Or let's just say even a little bit de-escalated. Let's say somebody comes in as an antagonizing the pastor in the middle of a service, right? Um, On some level, there should be some righteous anger that this person is disrupting the Word of God, and that guy or girl, whoever it is, should just be escorted out, right? They should be escorted out uh, because what they're doing in the moment is actually very demonic. It's satanic. It's trying to divide, Um, like, if some if for some reason, uh, you know, people came to our church and were protesting our stance on, like, abortion or homosexuality or something, and they had placards and were, you know, walking around the sanctuary and getting into the chancel, I would—I mean, I hope y'all wouldn't be upset with me—I'd be one of the first to get them out, if I could. And to try and get the elders or ushers or any people that I could to say, you know— it's like, let's get them out, call the police. We're putting a hold on this. They need to get out of here, right? And I'd be angry at that moment, right? I mean, who wouldn't be as a Christian? But at the same time, we keep a control on our anger and drive out the ones who are causing division, uh, but not going above and beyond exact... Revenge or something, right? We just, we just, we just want to do. We want to get them out. We want to get them away, and we are zealous to hear God's word without the disruption, right? Whatever that may be, yeah. So, um, something to keep in mind. Any thoughts, questions about that the second one? Righteous anger and human anger, human sinful anger. All right. Well. How the next the next question is a big question. How are how should we live our lives? Note the positive and uh, negative. Um, note the positive and negative encouragement there. I'd say begin at verse 21 and just go down, right? Put away filthiness, Mm -hmm. nakedness,
1: Mm -hmm. meekness, humanness,
0: the word implanted in us. Yeah, yeah, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, right? And with that, put away the filthiness. Put away the sin, you know, uh, with God's help. That's the key part right there, right? With God's help, put that sin away, clean it out, get it out. Um, You know, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? Uh, Therefore, uh, cast out the leaven of malice and sin and, uh, um, what is it? Celebrate the feast in sincerity and truth, yeah? Uh, that's what Saint Paul says. There's also, um, you know, this understanding we are to humbly accept the word that is planted, that is implanted in us, right? For the word alone can save us, and that's like that's also the capital word, Jesus, right? He is the word made flesh. <clears throat> and then also, if you want to look at more, you can see uh, Colossians 3, 16 through seventeen. Um, I'll just turn there real quick and read that for you. But if you want to make a note about it, Colossians 3, 16-17. There's others too, I'm sure. This is a prominent one, I think. Colossians 3, 16-17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, uh, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. See? That's why we should sing the psalms. All right. Uh, that was a joke, sorry. Because um, <laughs> we started singing the Psalms recently in church, right? Uh, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Right. So that's, that's more fleshing out that, that understanding of how we are to live, casting out the sin because we have been redeemed. Yeah. First and foremost, we are redeemed, and then we get to clear out all of the mess. Um, any questions on that? Um, the positive encouragement is what? To uh, receive with meekness the implanted word, right? And the negative encouragement is to put away the filthiness and rampant um, wickedness, right? Um, so now let's just for the sake of time, let's just keep on going. See the look section, uh, on the perfect law, the law of liberty. How do we look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom? Y'all think. What verse 25? If you have a perfect law and you uphold the law, you don't have to worry about any punishment or anything else because that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, okay. But if
3: you have an imperfect law, mm. there are things that you shouldn't do mm. and things that you should do. And yeah. even though the law says, you know, this right is protected, if the if it's against God's word, you need to speak up against it. Yeah. You know, like abortion. You right. Know, there was a law that said you, could, you were entitled to an abortion. No, well, you're
0: not either. No. Right. So when we also hear the word perfect, last time we said that also means complete, right? right. It's a complete law. Um, it, is, it is perfect in that sense. Um, and one of the things I really like, uh, or that I, that I have here in my little prayer book that I use a lot, is uh, a confession mirror, Because that's what James also talks about, right? That, um, uh, what is it? If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. So we always have to have the mirror of the law. Remember how we talk about it's curb, mirror, guide? We always need to have that mirror of the perfect law before our eyes to see where it is that we fall short and also where it is that Christ redeems us, right? What Christ has done for our sakes, right? Because we cannot keep the law perfectly. The law is perfect. But now that the law has been fulfilled in Christ, right, then it is complete. It is telestai. It is finished, right? according to what Jesus has done, and therefore we can delight in it. Therefore we can say, we can look at the law, and say, you know, um, where can I show my love? Because the love is the fulfillment of the law, right? Where can I show my love? Um, because the, the Ten Commandments have a prohibition, but there's also a positive side to it as well. So it's like, don't commit adultery, right? That's a prohibition, but there's a there's a positive side to it as well. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands, show love to them, you know, submit to them, and all these things like that, right? But husbands, love your wives as Christ loved his church. Positive side. Uh, because it's not just enough to not commit adultery. If you don't have love for your spouse, your husband, or your wife, then... I mean, it's one of these things. Like, you can be adulterous, and it's a temptation to be adulterous in some form or fashion, right? And likewise, um, with uh, um, giving the honor that is due to uh, fathers and mothers, it's not just about the kids; it's about the parents too. Parents should be worthy to receive it, you know. And some, you know, it's, it's like they get it just by being parents but they should not exasperate their children and all these things like that, right? So, um, uh, when we look at the context of the perfect law that gives freedom, it means that we look into God's Word and see all the promises fulfilled in Christ, right? And all the promises include the law, yeah? Um, And with Christ, we receive um, forgiveness, grace, life everlasting, And at the same time, because of this, we are free now to examine the law for specific ways we can express our freedom and love, yeah? So we are free now um, to say, not only how can I not covet um, my neighbor's uh, house or covet my neighbor's wife, his manservant, his maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to his neighbor, right? um it's in our explanation right of the small catechism it says we should fear and love God that we may not estrange, force <clears throat> or entice away our neighbors wife, servants or cattle, but urge them to stay and do their duty right <laughs> encourage them to stay or um, you know I shall not you shall not covet your neighbor's house. we should fear and love God that we may not craftily seek to get our neighbors, um, house or his, his inheritance but a, and, and obtain it by a show of right, but help and be of service to him in keeping it, right? So it's like there's positive sides to this as well. And we can only see that by being freed from the condemnation of the law by Jesus. Does that help a little bit? Does that kind of help with the perfect law, the law of freedom, so we are now free to live and serve others, our, our household primarily, and then our neighbors as well, those who are in our midst, right? Those who are right next to us. Um, any questions about that? There's a lot more we can say on that, but I'll just cap it there, okay? Yeah, Biting the tongue. Biting the tongue, yeah. <laughs> Right, that is, that's a thing you can do Enjoy, <laughs> Not saying what you really, really want to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay, now this last question on the discuss portion. James gives three examples of true religion. What are they? I mean, Tim, you said one. Right? Bite the tongue, right? Oh. Um, yeah. yeah, bridle your tongue. What else is there?
2: Well, over here in this food. little
5: cartoon, oh. it has um, <laughs> speak with love, serve the poor, to be wholly devoted to God.
0: Right. Yeah. So. Um, I'm cheating. Yeah, it's all right. No, it's okay. <laughs> bridle your tongue. Look um, after to visit the orphans and the widows. Actually, you know, it's another quick aside. If you look in TLH, the old red hymnal, whenever you had the general prayer, which we have in the altar book as well, I'm not so happy with the translation in the altar book from the Lutheran service book, because they updated the language. And And I think it weakens it, because in the updated version that we have, it says... we we ask God to look after the orphans and the widows, but in the old TLH, the Lutheran hymnal, it said the fatherless and the widows. That, I mean, that's very specific. Mm -hmm. To be an orphan on some level primarily is to not have a father Mm -hmm. to take care of and provide. And how much fatherlessness do we have now? But orphan is like meaning you don't have any parents. Yeah? So I think it would be better for us to also say we pray for the fatherless as well. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, to visit the fatherless and the widows, to to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. Yeah, by fearing, loving, and trusting in God above all things. Yeah. So to reject doing these things is to reject our Savior's forgiveness and His love. Yeah. So it's that it's kind of you know whenever and and. When you said, Diane, not to pick on you, but the 666 thing, one of the things was religion. And that kind of threw me off a little bit because religion in itself is not a bad thing. No. So in, in the context, it may be false religion.
5: I think that's I think definitely, so. definitely.
0: Absolutely, definitely. yeah. And that's yeah. that's kind of what I was thinking because false religion is damn, damnable.
5: Religious.
0: Right? Yeah. So what are you religious for? Yeah. Yeah. Are Not you religious for the wrong religion, things? Yes. And and everybody is religious even if they say that they're an atheist, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone has a devotion to something. So but true and pure and the undefiled religion before God, the father, is to uh is to um to to visit um the orphans, the fatherless, the and 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 widows in their in, in, their, uh, in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I mean, what was it that the apostles um, created the diaconate for? The deacons were there to serve the widows, right? To make sure that they weren't destitute, because they didn't have anybody to take care of them. And so the deacons were there to go and see people and make sure that they were provided for and loved with the love of God. So, and, and I thought that was very interesting. It's one of the first things the church ever really did. To make sure you take care of those who can't take care of themselves. You know? um, but yeah, to reject these things is to reject our Savior's forgiveness and his love. That's how we show love is by loving others in this very real concrete way. Any questions or thoughts about that? Um, Last part, apply. So agree or disagree. Our society offers more opportunity for moral filth than other times in history.
3: No, during the Roman times, it
0: was pretty bad. Pretty
3: bad. Well, yeah. even during the early American times, um, yeah. it was really bad because whenever they formed a town, the first thing to opened up was a saloon, mm-hmm. second thing was a brothel, and the third thing was a church. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: It's always been bad in some sense, right? Um, I think... So we are awash with moral filth on, you know... Radio, TV, movies, internet, right? Uh, all these things, you know, on our phones, the internet. I mean, I you, you're seeing there's a there's a company that's a startup. Actually, it's actually kind of funny. It's it's headquartered in Shiner, Texas, but what they do is they take a cell phone and they make it a really, really dumb smartphone. It's a, it's a smart-looking dumb phone, and basically it's called uh, the Wise Phone. And all you have on it, and I've thought about getting one actually, um, because all you can do on it is make phone calls. It's it's got a touchscreen and everything like that, right? All you can do is make phone calls, send texts, you can take pictures, and you can use a GPS for maps. That is all. You can sounds do. Sounds good to me. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Uh, well, you cannot like get fun. on the internet. You cannot get around it by downloading a br- like. You cannot d- you cannot download apps on it at all.
2: That sounds that would like be great. Yeah. yeah. That sounds send like phone. The... I'll send you a link for it. Yeah, yeah. I'll
0: send you a link. Uh, it's called the company is called Techless, and so it's just saying like we we appreciate what tech can do, but having less of it in comparison to what is offered is going to help us engage the people that are near to us better and not be distracted. So but the thing is is that but the thing is also it's like people who give, it's really sad, uh, parents who give their kids iPhones unchecked, un whatever, uh, especially boys, what's the first thing what's, what's one of the first things they can easily access? pornography. pornography right. So you have this big problem, and actually, that's part of what that phone helps. Well, the sad thing, whatever, whatever it is, they don't even have to look for it. It gets pushed to them. It gets pushed to them, and then they're hooked. Yep. Right, they're hooked. I'm not going to go into that too much right now, but there are a lot of opportunities out. So, in some in some sense, I agree and disagree with this, right? Because um, it's always been bad, like you said. There have been brothels and saloons, and you know, debauchery and depravity, and many like if. If you went into town, you didn't have to ask too many people about where certain things were, right? You just kind of figure some things out. But back then, you could also kind of just stay out in the country. I mean, uh, we got Charlotte uh, a little picture book of um, Little House, you know, and, uh, and they're they're quick adapted stories from the books with a lot of pictures and stuff. But you look at that; it's like they're in the they're they're in the house in Wisconsin. They're out on the prairie. They're out away from all this stuff. It's not that they're sinless, but they're away from the saloons and the brothels and everything like that. You can be out on the prairie or out in the woods and still have your phone on you. You know, so it's like things have always been bad on some level. In some sense, certain things definitely nowadays are much easier to get your hands on. Um, that can cause a lot of problems. So. Um, also, there's, there's also the idea that during other periods of history, people lived closer to one another, right? Now we're all kind of spread out. And even if we live right next door to each other, we're miles away because we're isolated either with our TVs or phones or whatever is in our house that's distracting us. So um, it's one. But the thing is, is that living closer together also brings a lot of temptation. I mean, look at King David with Bathsheba, right? So this world has sin. We can't escape it. We can't escape the moral filth. I mean, people have tried. That's why we have monks, or we had monks. The Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church still have monks that try and sequester themselves and get away from the world. But, and and on some level it's, the thought is admirable, but in all reality, I mean, you hear these stories about the monks. They still don't escape temptation completely. They're still tempted by their own sinful flesh. So you're never going to get away from all these things. You can lessen it, but it's never going to go away.
3: Well, the government's even trying to
0: legislate penalties,
3: and that still doesn't
0: work. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe. so the government, not on, not to get too far into this, the government legislates penalties, but what I don't think they do enough of is to uh, give incentives. <laughs> they don't incentivize things. One of the, I, I heard recently there was a, there was a bill that was presented in, front, in to like the Texas House of Representatives that said basically uh, it's called the Be Fruitful and uh, Multiply Multiplying, Get Married, Stay Married bill or whatever, something like that. And it was just like it was it was it was encouraging couples that have been married, and it even counts for adoption too, that if you have like so many kids, you get so much of a tax break on your property tax. Mm-hmm. And if you have like 10 kids, you get like 100% tax break on your property tax. And I was just like, that's awesome. Let's do that. You know? <laughs> that's wonderful. I mean, encourage people to have children and know that they're not going to get penalized for it. You know? Or know that their lives not going to be made harder because they have more mouths to feed. Take that, take that away. Or you know, encourage good behavior or whatever. Right? Um, it's one of those things like there's not enough good incentives to do good things. Uh, at least from the government standpoint. But still, our society is worse off in a lot of ways, Um, better off in some ways. I I, I mean, it's just like we find ourselves in a particular place in time where we still need to hear the Word of God, and we still need to receive that implanted Word so that we would be safeguarded from temptation and wickedness. Right? Any any last thoughts or questions about any of this? There, well, you know what utopia means, right? Um, utopia is a is a Greek word. It means no place. Think about that. <laughs> it literally means no place, meaning that utopia does not exist. You
5: know? There is a utopia, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very
0: nice, too, but it's not perfect. It's yeah. still yeah, no place. What's that? It's still no place. It's still no place, yeah. yeah, place. yeah it's, it's, all, right. it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It's nice, though. It's never become a great place. <laughs> <laughs> well, didn't I
2: make a movie there? Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah. Like Robert Duvall or something like that.
4: Yeah, yeah
0: that's right. It's so golf. There the of the Southern Golf. Southern about Golf, yeah. <laughs> so if you <laughs> like golf, I guess it's perfect, but... Uh, yeah. uh,
1: the simplicity of me, yeah. I like the very last thing. Yes. James tells us to listen to God's word and to do what it says,
0: showing love and self discipline. Right. Let's not complicate things, right? right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Listen to God. You know, that's, that's what Jesus says, right? Blessed rather is he who hears the word of God and keeps it, right? Cherish, cherishes it, does it. Yeah? Um And then asks for forgiveness when he doesn't to go on and do again. All right. Thank you so much for a good conversation and discussion about this. It was really nice. Thanks for your patience and getting through all this. And Hopefully that little break kind of helped break things up a little bit. Um, let's go ahead and close, though, with uh, the Lord's Prayer. So taught by our Lord and trusting his promises, we are bold to pray. Amen. Our Father, who art in to heaven, heaven
4: hallowed, hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy kingdom come, come thy, thy will be done. done